a trunk and set something up or bring some treats or help out, that they would be done setting up roughly around 1.30, 1.45, something like that. So really plan ahead. So when people are coming up, we're still not trying to pull in cars and get things set up, but they're here early. Also, if you'd like to just come to church and if you'd like to just uh, bring some food with you and hang out together while everybody kind of sets up, that's great as well. So you can kind of plan that. And I think some people are interested in doing that instead of going home and then coming back. Just stay here and and continue to just enjoy some fellowship and time to set up and prepare those things. Um, there was a work day yesterday. I'm not sure what all was accomplished because I wasn't here. I was working on a sermon, though. So um, does anybody know what was accomplished and what still needs to be accomplished for next week? Yeah. Basically, we couldn't work outside because it was wet. So we did all the lights Almost all the lights got bugs taken out of them and washed down, and um, windows out in the fellowship hall are all done on the inside, and the nursery's done inside and out. We didn't get up here. Spider webs. A lot of spider webs. They've been getting ready for the fall, and so there's a lot of the inside work is done. We definitely need all the outside work still done. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, helpful things for outside work are like if you have some quality leaf blowers, unless you just love raking, like leaf blowers can make it enjoyable. Um, thankfully, we paved a lot because a lot of our work days used to be spent just like raking gravel out of the grass. And uh, because we were able to afford to pave a lot of it, we're doing a lot less raking now. But um, there's always still some raking and still some twigs and still some leaves and things to do outside as well. So that will be on the 28th of October. Anything else that's not in the bulletin that we need to be reminded of? Yep. Just a reminder about shoeboxes. You have one month. They need to be in the 19th so that we can get them in. They're already sometimes in the Awesome. Okay. And also, you know, there's always a need to pay for shipping for those. So even if you might not have the time or desire to fill a box, but you'd like to give to the shipping, you can probably give that to Lynette at any time or? Well, it's on the front. It's our Sunday school Yeah, okay, great. So we can give to that as well during that time. Any other announcements? I had got a letter from the Rajewskis who came here, Nick and Kristen. They said, Dear First Baptist Church, thank you so much for the warm welcome to our family. We loved our weekend with you and enjoyed interacting with different Sunday school classes, um, the morning service, and sharing in the wonderful lunch together. Thank you for your prayers for our ministry and for partnership with us. And that was a good time to have different missionaries come out and speak with us and spend time together with them. And so Nick and Kristen were a couple of those missionaries. Let's worship together. I'm going to start off with you listening to a new song. And we'll sing this in our worship songs as well. So I'm going to sing a song called, Oh, Praise the Name.
and cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus died and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands and feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him Sing the song, And Can It Be? 
Matthew chapter 16. I had said we'll start in 17, but I, I enjoy going back throughout the scripture and seeing where Peter is in scripture and what he was like in scripture, because I think it gives you more insight into the letters that he writes in the future here. So I want to start in chapter 16 of Matthew, starting in verse 13. So you can just get a better look <clears throat> at the character of Peter and the relationship that he had to Jesus and just the history that he had with Jesus, both highs and lows here. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and that on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Just pause there for a second. In those two sections, it's crazy the interaction of relationship between Jesus and Peter. One is, hey, you said it. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the foundation. And then in the next paragraph, get behind me, Satan. You have no idea what you're doing. And this is a constant theme for Peter, actually. You have no idea what you're doing, but you're very zealous. And um, it's God who prays for him. It is God who gives him faith. It is God who gives him strength. It is Jesus who prophesies, this is what's going to happen to you over and over again. It's not Peter who's doing a great job. Uh, It's Christ who's doing a great job with Peter. Then Jesus, he says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for me, for a man, if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. He said, Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Turn your hymnals to number 363. 
going to throw a little curveball into how we sing it. Going to sing the first and second verse, and then the chorus. And the third and fourth verse, and then the chorus, and the fifth verse and the chorus. We're still going to sing all the verses, just not the chorus so many times. So, you understand? We're going to sing the first and second verse, then the chorus. Third, third and fourth verse, then the chorus. And then the last verse and chorus. So the chorus gets sung three times. You just understand? Fake it. fake it if you don't. If you don't get it, just quit playing and we'll just keep singing. <laughs> Join in. I threw this at her last minute, so it's not her fault. <laughs> or praises this morning. back to Tampa, right? So, not a joyful visit. It's one to a hospital. <laughs> There's going to be some joy before it, hopefully. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, you can pray for him. Uh, Cheryl especially understands about kidney stones, and, uh, and we'll be praying for you that you have success this time. Everything's taken care of. Any other prayer requests? Yes, it's wonderful. Uh, always good to have visitors from the past to come visit. We like to like that. Um, I had a praise from a odd thing that happened. Don and I went to visit. Well, we didn't go to visit. We went to pick up a recliner for somebody. And when we got there, as we were talking to the man that was selling it, he um, started sharing his testimony of how the Lord had saved him after he had basically wiped out a shoulder twice in about four months and wasn't allowed to go back to work. And he got really depressed and actually thought, what's the purpose in living? And he says, and then the Lord found me. And he came to know Jesus Christ and he attends uh, Grace Church and uh, it's pretty amazing. It's nice to go and be encouraged by somebody sharing their testimony. And he's been a Christian now for three years. Uh, that's pretty exciting to have that happen. It's very encouraging to you as a believer to hear that others are coming to know the Lord and, uh, and are willing to share their testimony. So we're grateful for that. And that would be a praise. Okay, if there's nothing else, then we'll pray. Gracious Father, we're so grateful for your goodness <laughs> and your love. We're grateful that through Jesus Christ, you have affected people. You have brought people to your Son. You have, through your Spirit, caused people to wake up and see the truth and come to know your Son, Jesus Christ. We're so excited when we hear testimonies like that and thankful for this man who shared his. Lord, help us to be so willing to share ours. Um, but also encouraged by new believers who share their, their uh, response to Jesus Christ, that Christ had found them, that he had come to them, he had opened their eyes. We're grateful for that. Lord, we're thankful that we know that because of that, we are your children forever, and that you are always working to work in our behalf, to teach, to train, to strengthen, sometimes to heal, but always working to love those who are yours. And, and we pray for Hunter as he goes back down to Tampa, um, that you would resolve this issue with his kidney, that this would all get taken care of and he would return in, uh, without that kidney stone and uh, in much better condition. We thank you for him as a part of the church and just pray this for him that he might feel better, be able to continue to live for you. We're grateful for our studies, different studies that are going on, for Sunday school, for other things that are happening to teach us the truth about your word, to help us to grow. And we thank you for the opportunity to come together and sing praises and hear your word and give you opportunity to work in our life. Lord, help us to do this on a regular basis, that we might be in your word and growing and that the world will have less effect on us. So we praise you for this time. 
pray that our worship would be worthy and that you would enjoy and appreciate it. And we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our worship songs. First one will be Glorious Day. <clears throat> One day when heaven was filled with His praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelled among men, my example is He. The Word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried, my sins far away, rising he justified, freely forever, one day he's coming, a glorious day, a glorious Seal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Many arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. Death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him from rising again. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried, my sins far away, rising he justified, freely forever, one day he's coming, a glorious day, a glorious day. Wonderful day, my beloved, was bringing 
dismissed to junior church are there other things there for them to do there's clipboards over there on the side
It was nice to have Tom Hamlin here to preach last week. It's nice to see a new face up here sometimes. It's nice to hear someone else preach sometimes. Um, my question is, how many of you remember what he talked about last week? If I was to just like put a microphone right up to all of you, how many of you guys think that you could just nail it? Like, yeah, I know what he talked about. It's really hard. It's really hard. Peter knows that. God knows that. All of Scripture knows that. It is hard for us to remember. There's a million things going on all the time. What we think is important to retain, not important to retain. There's only so much room. And uh, whether you're a little kid, whether you're middle-aged, or whether you're getting up there, it's still hard to remember. And uh, Scripture is not unfamiliar with that. Peter is not unfamiliar with that. So what I'd like to do is just touch base real quick on what we learned last week and then move ahead as well. Because you can't just jump into the next verses because Peter says, well, therefore, you got to do these things or therefore you should know these things or therefore remember these things. And you're like, well, what is he talking about? Because I forget from last week what he's even talking about. So we're going to remind you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Starting in verse 5, this is what Tom was preaching on last week. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection finally with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail." For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to recap that, um, Tom's point was, in the parts that I had picked out last week that I actually remembered from last week, was that these are virtues that are both granted to us by God, that are the character of who God is, but also... Um, that we are to strive to do, that we are to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and so on and so on and so on. But notice what it does not say. It does not say, continue to try harder if you fail, continue to try harder if you fail, continue to try harder if you fail. Instead it says, and when you fail, if you fail, if you lack these qualities, You've forgotten this, that you have been cleansed from your sins. And this is important. This is crucially important because, as I've spoken about before, and I will continue to remind you over and over again, and myself over and over again, these virtues must grow out of a deep love for the gospel of Jesus Christ and a deep knowledge that your sins have indeed been forgiven already. If you understand that, you understand a whole host of things as well. And I want to remind you of that. 
Because when you are short with somebody, which we do sometimes on the daily, what we are saying is, I am better. What I have to say is more important. You are not as wise, knowledgeable, or gifted. Or um, I come at it hot, like, I need mercy, but you do not need mercy. You need to listen to me right now. Whatever that is. But what Peter is saying is that if you forget the gospel that you yourself need mercy, that you yourself need forgiveness, that you yourself wanted to be treated uh, by God in a calm, loving, patient manner, if you forget that he has done that for you and continues to do that for you, then you're blind and nearsighted. What you need is to remember that you have been forgiven. And then go and put on these virtues again. Remember that you have been receiving mercy and forgiveness and grace. And then go and give it out again. The goal is not to continue to try harder. Because when you fail, the goal is to get back to the gospel. And that gospel so empowers you because then you remember, God loves me. God has saved me. God keeps me. And from that, we can love. If your love and your compassion for somebody else is only because that somebody else treats you wonderfully, it will fail as soon as they don't. As soon as they don't. As soon as they use your toothbrush. As soon as they forget to put the laundry in the laundry basket, as soon as they scribble all over the walls, as soon as they whatever it is that they do, whether it's kids or adults, your love flies out the window because you've forgotten that you yourself have been forgiven. You yourself have been shown mercy, patience, and long-suffering. And this is why you're failing at these things. So when you grasp that, then you make every effort to supplement these things and to continue to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to continue to grow in steadfastness as Christ is steadfast, to continue to grow in brotherly affection because God has great affection and love for us. Most of all, to grow in love. God is love. God is all of these qualities growing. Uh, we are growing to be more like Christ. So there is a certain amount of effort that God would ask us to be involved in, but that effort must be flowing from a fountain of the gospel, flowing from a certainty of your salvation. Because then there's no fear there in your growth. There are so many cults and so many false teachers and everybody else who leave you terrified that if I do not do enough, then I am therefore condemned. The truth of the gospel is Christ has done enough. You are not condemned. Now go and serve people. Go and grow in godliness. That's the message that is true. And that is the message that Peter is constantly pounding in in the beginning. You must be grounded here or they will take you away. The false teachers will easily trick you. This is the truth. Remember it. So then when we get to verse 12, he says this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. I'm going to remind you of these qualities I just talked about. 
though you know them and you're established in the truth that you have. Peter does not want them to be fooled, and he will remind them again and again and again and again. And he goes on in detail as you say, I want to leave something so good for you guys that, that even after I die, it'll be like I'm continuing to repeat this over and over. And here we are today reading what Peter wrote to these people. He did exactly what he desired to do. Remind generation after generation about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would not be deceived by false teachers, that they would be grounded in the truth, that they would know peace and love in themselves and be able to offer that peace and love to other people. Peace and love that cannot be taken away because they're my enemy, but in fact it flows from Christ and does not go away because they're my enemy. I can still bless those who curse me because I should have been cursed by God, but I wasn't. Instead, Jesus was cursed for me. You can tell and you can feel it and you know it right now that each and every day you need to know the forgiveness of Christ in your own life so profoundly that it bleeds into your forgiveness for your wife, your compassion for your children, your patience with your husband, your humility in your interactions. You know that, you need that every single day. Sometimes you can just feel the temperature rising. It's because you've become nearsighted and blind. You've forgotten that your sins, in fact, were forgiven. And if you go back to that again and again and be reminded again and again, your sins have been forgiven. Therefore, you can forgive their sins. Any knowledge that you have comes from God. Any patience that you've given, God has given more. Any forgiveness you have to offer is only because God has forgiven you. Therefore, we can grow in these things that he would not have us to forget. We can grow in these qualities. You know them. I love how he says this. You know them. I know them. You're growing in them, but you need to be reminded. It's funny, anytime any parent teaches any kid anything, how quickly it seems they've forgotten. And even as adults who are no longer necessarily being like taught, we hear the word, we see ourselves in the mirror, we see that we're dirty in some way, and we go off and we forget what we look like even at times. And what we need to be reminded of is that our sins have been forgiven. <clears throat> I think that there can be two deceptions that you fall into if you do not understand this passage. So we as Christians were to remember the truth of the gospel. Then we remember the goal of the Christian is to be more like Christ while remembering that we have been cleansed already. But there are two deceptions, maybe more, that you can fall into. Number one, you start to think, these are all the things that I need to do to be saved. That's deception number one. And that's like a million of the cults. Jehovah's Witnesses, Holy Smokes, the list of things they need to do is overwhelming. Mormons, overwhelming. Catholics, overwhelming. And a number of cults, overwhelming what they think is required. And there is just always fear. Always fear. Never a grounding. Same with Muslims. Never knowing, is Allah going to balance the scale this way? 
or this way. They do not know. The only guarantee is martyrdom. The other way is that <clears throat> you're saved. Hey, I'm good to go. And that cannot be taken away, and that's true. And therefore, there's nothing else that God asks of me. I've been saved, I wash my hands of it, I go on, I live my life and never acknowledge Christ again if I want to, because what does it matter? But this passage, it balances both. It says you have been saved, you have been forgiven. Now make every effort to grow in all these things. You are here today because you are making an effort to grow in these things, hopefully. You wanted to hear the scripture preached. You wanted to sing of the glory of God. You wanted to see your friend and be encouraged who you hadn't seen in a while. You wanted to hear the scripture preached. This is why we come here. Both views can be equally disastrous. One is chasing your tail. The other one is just pure apathy. And God does not call us to either one of those. He calls us to rest in the gospel and go on to be like Christ. And when you fail, it's because you have not understood or remembered that you have been saved from your sins and continue on. That is where the power comes from. The power does not come from a guilt trip. The power does not come from a flowery speech or just the right music in the background. The power comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. To remember that sacrifice, to remember that love and peace and patience, to remember that Jesus bore the curse that I deserved. He says in verse 13, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of a reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And therefore, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's desire for these churches is that even if he should pass away, they would remember these things. They would find hope in the gospel. They would still know how to be compassionate, how to be long-suffering, how to be forgiving, because he's left it right here for them in the scriptures. And he points them back to the Old Testament, and he points them to Christ, and he points them to the Holy Spirit, he points them to the truth, and he warns them of deceivers who will come and have already actually crept in at the time. I think Peter is setting an example for all of us that we are to remind each other on the regular of how we have been saved, to remind each other on the regular, hey, I heard how you said that thing. But you need to be remembered what you have been forgiven already. And let's try that again. See how impatient you were with your kids today? Let's remember that you have been forgiven and God is very patient with you. Let's try that again tomorrow. Remember how God loved his enemies? Doesn't seem like you're being very loving to your enemies. In fact, you're going after them hard. You've forgotten that you were an enemy of God. You, in fact, were an enemy of God. And God made you his son. And God blessed you. And therefore, you as well, grounded in the gospel, can then bless your enemy. Not attack. <clears throat> Do unto others as you would want done unto you. 
sounds great if you're on the receiving end of it. It's harder when you're the one who's supposed to give that thing away. The other thing is that it's just a reminder for parents to hand these things off to their children. This church stands and is built, the building, but also the people, because generation upon generation upon generation has reminded the next generation of the great love of Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice of God our Father, the tender mercy that he has for his children, not only for his children, but for those who are still far off. While we were still in our trespasses and sins, he died for us. God doesn't just die for a good person, but also for the wicked people as well. It seems that Peter is investing in churches who would relay his message long after he had gone to be with his Savior, possibly referring to his letter only, but also to the many people he had personally shared the gospel with. Considering the scriptures that we are reading today, I think both are true. As far as we are concerned, we are to know the truth and pass it on. And this church is doing that and continues to do that and will continue to do that. And our children's children will continue to do that as well. Peter and Paul, and this again is not uncommon to the scriptures, are constantly having to say, listen, we are not like the false teachers. Our faith is different. What we believe is different. It is not the same. Their message is do, 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 and you will possibly be saved. And Christ's message is it is done. The good news is that Christ has died for sinners. It's done. It's accomplished. You can rest in it. Trust in it. Know who Christ is. Rest. And then live with each other in love. But he goes on to say this. Like, somebody's been saying that we're just following myths and like cleverly devised schemes. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were, in fact, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter has gotten to see so many things that Jesus did. He saw a man's ear get put back on. He saw Jesus alive from the dead. He saw Jesus walk on water. He himself walked on water. He himself was pulled out of the water by Jesus as he lost faith and sight in him. But not only that, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what that was is a peek into future glory. A peek into who Christ is. To see him bright, white. It's funny, a lot of the songs we sang today actually talked about that. Christ in his glory, Christ dressed in his white robes, Christ returning again. But what Peter got to see was, Not just Jesus, the man who suffered and rose, but Jesus, the man who suffered and rose and was glorified, who sits at the right hand of his father. Jesus believed ahead of time, as you saw in the Matthew chapter 16, he said, you are the Lord, the Christ, the son of the living God. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, God confirms that after Peter has already said it. So Peter knew Christ enough 
Peter had come to that point well enough to know who Jesus is. Jesus tells him, shh, don't tell anybody yet who I am. And then God makes it abundantly clear again. What Peter is saying is, we did not make this up. I saw Jesus, who was once dead, is now alive. I saw him heal and bring people back to life. I saw Jesus in the body that you and I have change in an instant. And so this fuzzy message of what is this new glorified bodies? What is this Jesus, son of the living God? I understand. But instead, Peter gets all these things together in one. It says that the glory of God comes down, surrounds them in like a fog. And the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So again, 16 says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is not a story. We were there. You can ask James, and you can ask John, and you can, if you ever see Moses and Elijah, <laughs> like he did, can ask them as well. They were there as well. Peter says, we didn't follow any of these myths. We saw God. We saw Christ raised. We heard the Father say to the Son, This is my son. Verse 17, he says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, we heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Again, Peter, James, and John were there. They saw Christ's appearance change as he was transfigured. They saw his clothes change. They heard the Father as well. Peter then even mistakenly says, hey, we should build some tents here. Like, if this is where you guys are going to be, we should put up some shelter. He really doesn't get what's going on a lot of the time. What he's trying to say as well is, this isn't just a story. I was there. I have witnesses who are there. And not only that, what do I have to gain from this message that I'm bringing to you? What is there to gain from this message that I'm bringing to you? The only mission, the only motivation that Peter had was to share the gospel with people constantly and to leave them with the truth of the gospel and to protect them from false teachers. And he didn't do this because of a story he heard, but because of a Christ that he walked with. And we as Christians, when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit then lives within us. We have a closer walk with God in some ways than even the people who walk side by side with Jesus before the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives with you, is a part of you. Jesus says that the Comforter is going to come to you when you become a Christian. Peter now motivated by the Holy Spirit to write so that people can remember the truth of the gospel, that they can be saved, that they can be protected, that they can learn to love one another, that they would know that their sins are forgiven. Therefore, you can love one another, forgive one another. It should be true of us 
that it is our life's goal as well to pass on this truth. First, the truth is passed on to us and we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. We receive all that God would have for us in being his sons and daughters. Then we pass on that same message to the people in our church family. Then we go out and we take that message to a world who has not heard it yet, does not know it yet. We remind them over and over again with the truth. We remind each other with the truth. We make every effort to grow in these things, empowered by the truth of the gospel. So that those who have heard for the millionth time will not forget and instead will be able to remember and rejoice in the love of God that, that their sins would in fact be forgiven. And again, with that knowledge that they would make every effort then to grow in godliness and then return to the gospel and then grow in godliness and then return to the gospel and then grow So for you and I, as we continue to relate to one another and to live with one another, as we encourage one another, as we rebuke one another, it ought to come out of an understanding that I have, in fact, been forgiven. Therefore, I am no better than you. I need Christ just as much as you, and so does the rest of the dying world. And if we can do that with the gospel behind us, we will do that very graciously. People might not like it still. But that is the best way and the only way that God calls us to work these things out together. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Peter writing it down for us. I thank you for the many Christians throughout the years uh, around the world, but also just locally here in this town who have given up their lives and incomes and time um, to honor you with all that they have. God, help us to use our wealth and our poverty. Help us to glorify you even um, in our repentance as we sin. God, help us to show off what a glorious Savior you are in our interactions with people, that they would see us not respond like the world responds in hatred of our enemies, but in fact with love for our enemies, that we would bless and not curse. God, help us to love our spouses, help us to love our children, not because of anything that they can do for us, but only because of what you have done for us already, that we have indeed been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymnals to 194 and we'll stand and sing. It's interesting, in the very first verse, the reminder comes, you have a marvelous message to bring. Glorious carols we sing about Christ. Wonderful word of the King. And then ultimately, Jesus is coming again. And so we sing of that which we have to offer and to remember. Marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful words of the King. 
Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon, coming again, coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. Forest and flower exclaim, mountains and meadow the same. All earth and heaven proclaim, Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. Coming again, coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. Standing before him at last, trial and trouble all past. Feet we will cast. Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. is coming again. Father, we thank you for the message of your word that Peter himself would wish to remind us and make sure that we would be reminded consistently through our life that you died for us and rose again, that you have forgiven us for all our sin, that you have made us free free at last to serve you and follow you. Help us to add to our faith all those things that will make us more like you. Help us to focus on you and desire to spread your word, to tell others about your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the message and the reminder. Might it encourage us as we live for you. And we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.